Welcome to the weekly Retail Politics Podcast, where we bring you one download at a time. The best information on the happenings of your government. Today, we're going to do a special Veterans Day edition of the podcast. And we have a a super guest with us, uh, Troy Yoakum, who is the founder and president of Active Heroes, a nonprofit group in Louisville, Kentucky. And how are you doing, Troy? Thanks for being with us. I'm doing great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we're going to talk about a very serious issue and and what what is being called a crisis in our country, which is veteran suicides. Uh, 20 veterans a day take their own lives, which to me is just um, astounding. And that comes out to about 7,300 veterans a year, stretching back towards uh, to the World War II. And that's a larger number than all those killed in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Uh, tell us why this is happening. Well, there's all kinds of triggering points that are leading towards veteran suicide. You know, it's it's not necessarily always an easy thing to narrow it completely down. However, the military has put a lot of stats uh, together on why they do believe that veteran suicide has uh, increased over time. Uh, That includes depression, uh, survivor's guilt, self-blame for mission failure, impaired thinking or substance abuse, post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, Uh, Traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of desperation intensified by brain injuries due to IEDs. Right. Um, Mental disorder symptom manifestations. Wow. Wow. Um, There's probably another 40 triggering. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And for female, sexual harassment is Mm -hmm. one a lot different than males. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So you started this group because your grandfather committed suicide, right? He was a World War II vet. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, my grandfather um, served with three other brothers, very similar to like the Save a Private Ryan movie. Mm. Um, the day after Pearl Harbor was bombed, my grandfather at the age of 16 with his three brothers uh, walked almost 20 miles from Raywick, Kentucky to Lebanon, Kentucky to sign up to go into the military. Uh, they weren't rich enough to even have a car among the four of them. And so they walked. And the way the story goes is my grandfather was not of age to join. So uh, he kind of followed behind them thinking that, you know, they're not going to help me to get in. But actually, you know, you could get away with a lot back then. Um, <laughs> the other brothers lied about his age and was able to get him enlisted. And by the wow. time I, my grandfather was 17, he was flying missions in the Pacific Coast. Oh, my. Uh, the other brothers were separated. Um, I know a lot about them because I have uh, gone on to study a lot. And two of them were captured, uh, both POWs, mm-hmm. one by the Germans and one by the Japanese. Wow. One of my great uncles um, was tortured so much that he mm. had amnesia and he wasn't mm. actually found until six years after World War II had finished. Uh, mm. He was located eventually at Fort Bragg, listed as a John Doe. Wow. My grandfather saw and, and dealt with a lot during World War II and the way that he dealt with his problems uh, which mostly was depression, was substance abuse with uh, alcohol, unfortunately. 
Sure, sure. Uh, so he dealt with that for about 40 years. Wow. And in 1980, he lost his job. Mm. I was only uh, one at the time. I was born in 79. Uh, so I do not remember the day that my grandfather took his life, but I still have the newspaper uh, clippings from that date. Yes, yes, um, yes. It's unfortunate. I know where, I know the exact house that he uh, took his life in. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it was only a few blocks away from where I went to grade school. Wow. Uh, wow. And uh, I would often talk to my grandmother about why my grandfather made that choice. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was uh, something that uh, she also regret regretted uh, for many years until she passed in 2001 mm -hmm. and would talk. You know, she, my grandmother never remarried mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, 21 years after my grandfather's death. Mm -hmm. Uh, so very much in, in love and didn't understand it as well. So it's, it's not an easy thing for a military family member to go through. Yeah. Now, now tell me about the impact on you. I mean, obviously it had a great impact on you to embark on this mission. And do you tell us a little bit about active heroes? Well, my family took the life insurance money from my grandfather's death and we put it into an endowment to help military family members um, basically, once a year, we would help as many families as possible for Christmas growing up. Mm. Um, but it highly affected my my family. I mean, the impact of my grandfather's suicide was probably not seen in the first couple years. But over time, uh, the depression, especially for my mother, kept growing. Um, it We didn't really tackle it as a family together until 1989 when we took a retreat center in the Smoky Mountains of uh, Tennessee. And that it was not a military-specific retreat. It was a survivor's family retreat. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot about coping mechanisms and working as a family unit to help each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a lot of outdoor activities and classroom activities. Mm -hmm. And I saw this retreat is probably the greatest thing that helped our family. Um, and obviously that impact is still there. And I still, you know, my family misses my grandfather a lot, uh, but we've turned that into helping as many families as, as possible. I kept asking my family that, why can't we do these retreats more often? The answer was always, they're too expensive. It costs too much money to travel for hotel, the actual retreat itself was thousands of dollars. So in 1989, at age 10, I wrote the original plan to grow a military family retreat center that would be free for military families. And that's awesome. And you and you have that going on right now. That's part of your act of heroes, uh, helping families kind of recover from this. That is true. It has always been our dream to build this retreat center. And uh, we are steadily uh, constructing more and more of it. And we have completed a whole lot and it's been operating now for, um, the cabins have been available for almost four years. And we've been here cleaning, clearing out and building in the retreat for almost seven years now. Now, we were talking about that number 20, and uh, that is actually down from 22, which was about a decade ago. So let's go through those some of those causes that you had mentioned. And one of them was depression. You said, uh, I, I was reading that one in 10 vet veterans suffer from chronic depression. And have you found that 
to be related to their military experience or is that just, you know, kind of a hereditary thing that's going on there? I mean, you can't always attribute 100% of that uh, towards the military. All I know is that when I served in Iraq, I was 30 years old, Mm -hmm. sitting next to 19, 20, 21 year olds that had never seen even a family member die before. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we're seeing death on a, a major scale. Mm-hmm. And not only are we seeing death, but we're dealing with people shooting at us and IEDs and roads and urban settings uh, trying to obviously get us uh, with guerrilla tactics uh, from the enemy. And you know we had quite a few that were killed in action and then several that actually committed suicide while we were in country. Mm. Uh, The military, you know, they've at least at this point are making efforts and strides. Um, When I was in the service, the number was 18 veterans a day. And that was from a 2008 Mm -hmm. report from the VA. The 2012 report was 22. Mm -hmm. The 2014 report was... Uh, 20. The 2018 report was 17 a day. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying through COVID, we're looking at a 20 to 30 percent increase of reported suicides already this year. Wow. The number of veteran suicides daily are somewhere between the 20 and 25 a day number. Wow. One of the most interesting uh, factors in this crisis is what you call survivor's guilt. And my father was in World War II and he was with a special unit called the uh, Reposition Deposition Unit. So their job was to basically fit the soldiers as they went to the front. And my dad was always feeling guilty about that. He would go to his lieutenant and say, hey, uh, when do we get to go to the front? And his lieutenant would always say, that's not your job. Do your job. And until he was in his 60s, my dad would talk about that and say, we never got to go. We never not to go. He went through a lot of mental illness. And uh, I remember one time we were in a psych ward and talking to him and he was saying we never got to go. And I said, Dad, the war's over. We won the war. And they realized that some guys didn't win. Some guys came back and, and, and they were they lost. And there was a great song by John Gorka in which he said, sometimes the wounds that are easier to hide never heal. Talk about survivor's guilt. You know, for me, um, I was very fortunate on my deployment to not get into two crazy scenarios. We did 255 convoy escort missions. So I drove through the entire country of Iraq, up and down, left and right, uh, constantly. And I was always lead driver of lead vehicle. Wow. And they trusted me with that because of both my age and the fact that I had drove a semi-truck across America for four years Um, during my National Guard years, and I was also a paramedic. So Mm -hmm. they knew that if anyone was going to get hurt, it generally would be um, if most IEDs are either pressure or timed. And then if you come up with an ID and get hit by an ID that's timed or even set off by uh, the enemy, they're going to trigger that in the center of a convoy or towards the back. Um, so that they can separate uh, us on purpose. Um, So, you know, for me, 
I didn't really come back with too much survivor's guilt, but I've, I've worked with a lot of veterans that see like their service as not being appreciated. Yes. Yes. And yes, so yes. I know that your, your podcast is about retail politics. And for me as an Iraq war veteran, the issue I have with, especially the media is they often talk about, well, we didn't find weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Mm-hmm. We should have mm-hmm. never been there. And I can honestly tell you that we found caches of weapons that would kill thousands and thousands of people. Right. And my sergeant has a bronze star mm-hmm. for finding a lot of chemical weapons. So I often hear that and I think, well, people just are not aware of what we did in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And the media has really spun it in such a way that my uncle was a Vietnam veteran and what he had to deal with coming home was tragic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said he would never wish it upon me, but I was out with him one night and uh, I had an Iraq war veteran hat on and someone had yelled something obscene to me. And my, my uncle could not believe that our generation was also dealing with that. I was going to bring that up because, um, you know, we were talking about the VA and I had when I was a reporter, I went down to Walter Reed and uh, interviewed a, a soldier there who had gotten shot in Iraq. He was on the roof, heard a crack. Last thing he heard, woke up in the bed. Uh, first thing he did was grab for his legs to make sure they were there, which I thought was horrifying. But he also wanted to be back with his guys. They everybody I talked to say they want to go back with their guys there's a loyalty to their unit um you know um i think the movie sniper you know it was a bradley cooper and he went through all that turmoil and and still he 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 just felt more comfortable with his guys what's that about well you you literally go to war with these individuals and uh i'm friends with every one of them now on social media uh, I had posted the other day and a guy that I served with in America, Samoa, commented on one of my posts and, you know, stays up to date where we become a brotherhood. You know, I served in the infantry, so it's all male, um, but the military definitely is a brotherhood and sisterhood. It's a fraternity that uh, only a few can join and a fraternity that you can't necessarily quit. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, a strong bond that we build with each other. And when we learn that any of us go over to serve, you know, we want to be that sort of protector. Right. Um, for me, I joined a, I joined in the service not directly from high school. So I was always a little older and I kind of try to guide the lower enlisted as much mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, some people might not be able to explain, but uh, I, I never grew up with most of these people, but I spent eight years in the military and grew great friendships. And we really have partnerships with these individuals. Yeah. Well, we were, we were you listed as one of the, the reasons the altered worldview due to post-traumatic stress and, and getting ready for this, uh, this podcast. I watched the deer hunter with that famous Russian roulette scene, which you know about the Christopher Walken character was never the same after being a Vietnam prisoner of war. Is that the kind of guy that can be repaired? Is that someone who can be uh, helped and prevent it from, from taking their own life. Yes, but you have to sort of know the steps on how to guide them. 
at our charity at Active Heroes, we actually have a suicide prevention peer mentor training program. So we are training anywhere from civilians to military family members to veterans on how to interact with those type of individuals. And often at our events across the nation, because we are a national charity and we have events in every state, there are veterans showing up that need to be, you know, they need help. They need someone to talk with. And that's why we're trying to build this national really database of trained peer mentors and team leaders that are coordinating our, our events uh, to reach more of these, these veterans that need someone to talk to. We've, um, we're doing that on a national level and they can be helped. Can everyone be helped? I, I truly believe so. It just takes the right effort. The, the reason why I believe that most can be helped is because we have expanded our events so that we are reaching veterans that are, they may be interested in shooting competition or they may be interested in our workout events or our ruck march events. Their spouses might be interested more in our Zumbathon partnership uh, or yoga, meditation, acupuncturist, massage therapy. Their families as a whole might be interested in our community center or our retreat center. We have built programming at Active Heroes because we've learned through a decade of being a nonprofit um, ways to help those that need it. So it's interesting, you know, I, I remember being a reporter back in the 80s and the World War II guys were dying out and there was a feeling like the Vietnam Vietnam guys weren't going to take over the Memorial Day and the parades and things, but they have done that. And I see them working, uh, participating, getting help they need. I'm worried about the guys that were with you. I'm worried about the Iraq guys. I'm worried about the Afghanistan guys, because almost like the Korean War, these are forgotten wars. People have forgotten about those people over there. What are they going to be getting when they come back in terms of treatment, medical care? What can be done to, to say, hey, these guys are our guys? You know, I've been asking this question for years. Um, I worked as a paramedic and I've seen the insides and outside of the VA system, especially also being a veteran. Um, I don't know what this next four years is going to look like with whatever this presidency turns out to be, but I highly think that uh, the military will be defunded a lot, which decreases funds also for the VA system. Mm -hmm. I'm unsure of the actual treatment. I mean, I've seen a couple bills pass that pay close attention to those that are coming home. I can only share my individual story there. And you know, the day, two days after coming home from Iraq, I was at Fort Hood, Texas, demobbing out of the military, which means signing my paperwork to leave. And there's a box that says, do you need to talk to somebody? And I know that if I checkmark that box, yes, that I'm going to be on base for three more weeks and be evaluated. Mm. And I know that if I click no, I'm on the plane home tomorrow to my wow. wife. Wow. So that to me is a problem that needs to be solved. And I believe that there needs to be a period of time coming home from war um, to sit down with therapists and to really not, not, not necessarily be evaluate, but to just really talk through whatever you've dealt with. You know, my deployment was 13 months. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was not, it's not easy to be in the army infantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's that any other MOSs in the military, um, you know, are less or more, but uh, being an infantry means that you're in the thick of it. So, yeah. And it's interesting what you say about the talk therapy, because I know my dad never talked about the war and I, I'm very active with an AMVETS post in my neighborhood. And those guys never talked about it. Some of those guys died. And when we went to the wakes, their medals, bronze stars were hanging there and they never told anybody about it. So is there a military code that says, hey, when it's over, we don't talk? That's definitely been in the past. I believe this is the number one reason why my grandfather took his life is he built it up inside himself for so many years and never would talk about those type of issues. And whether it's seeing death or creating death, you uh, that can affect you. And I had to, I really had to talk to my uncle for years before he would open up to me. And I'll be honest with you, he did not speak too much about it until I came home from Iraq. And then it was almost like I had passed this test. Right now, I've been to war. Now, right. now he'll talk to me about it. Right. Right, right. Um, yeah. You speak about the AMVETS post, and you know, I go to some of the the AMVETS or VFWs, American Legions, and sometimes they might talk to us about things, but I, I find that when they come out to our Active Heroes Retreat Center, they are opening up a lot more and they're speaking about the issues uh, that plagues them. We recently just put out three videos of veterans that we interviewed, including a female veteran talking about, you know, female issues in the military. And so, you know, some do open up, but not all. Yeah, and it was interesting because um, I did a book about that AMVETS post um, in, in Philadelphia. And when Harry Truman signed um, the legislation that created the AMVETS, he said, we need these groups. We need places where veterans can go and talk to other veterans. And it was about veterans helping veterans. That's what it was. You mentioned the VA. I understand that the Veterans Administration care is comparable to any care that you're going to get in the country. But the problem is getting into the into this to kind of the arena. I mean, it, it, it's just hurdles to get 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 into it and get into the process. Do you find that, too? Yeah. And I've never quite understood it. Uh, I come home. I think it took me seven months of filing paperwork to finally get into the VA system. And I feel like once you sign into the military, it should just be automatic. Sure. So I think that they really need to look at fixing that system. And let's face it, um, when you got government run anything, the funding is dictated from the top down. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at, you know, not enough funding. There's always going to be more money spent on bombs than the health care. Yeah. And that is um, something that us veterans often fight against and say, look, we we need that support, but you know, I went out and personally bought private health care, and I would rather use you know a hospital around where I live than drive 25, 30 minutes into the city to use the VA. Yeah, that's a sad statement. That that is a sad statement. So, tell us, Troy, what 
individuals out there can do to help with this mission of uh, veteran suicides and reducing that? What, what do you think can, uh, we, we can do um, out here? Well, it just depends on where anyone lives that's listening. You know, we have national programs uh, that were specifically designed so that anyone can get involved to help. So even if you've never served in the military and you just want to give back and help reduce this veteran suicide number, Active Heroes is looking for volunteer team leaders, which are event coordinators hosting our different events across the nation. All these events have free optional tickets for military families, but also the funds raised at these events go to fund our other programs, assisting thousands and thousands of military family members. On top of that, if you don't want to get involved with hosting an event that's not up your alley, you can get involved with our peer mentor training and be listed on our map so that anyone local to you that's needing to reach out, a veteran that's in need, can find you and be able to call, email, text, or even meet for coffee and just sit and talk about what can help them on a local basis. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you're in the Kentucky area where we have our physical locations, we're always looking for volunteers to get involved with our community center, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, and then our outdoor 147-acre Active Heroes Retreat Center uh, that is located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. So uh, we were talking about the VA, and one of the things I did want to mention is the VA now has a button that when you call and you are in crisis and you feel like you're going to harm yourself, you can press that uh, number and it'll take you to uh, the crisis center. But uh, give us some information, Troy. Where can people donate to you? I know I've been on your website. All your um, funding is listed there, the audits and all that kind of stuff, so people can see where your money's going. But tell us how people can help you, where they can donate, what what uh, website they can reach, that kind of thing. Well, you can always find our website at www.activeheroes.org. Uh, there's different ways to donate, either monetarily. You can join one of our monthly donor clubs. We actually have a great company that's donating tea boxes back to our donors monthly, so you can get a monthly supply of tea in exchange for your donation, and it costs us at the charity nothing. So it's a great way to give back and get something in return. You can also join many of our fundraisers and find us on social media, Active Heroes on Facebook, at Active Heroes on Twitter and Instagram. You know, it's interesting whenever someone uh, talks to a veteran and says, what did you do in the military? It's like they want to hear the blood and gut stories, you know, like that. But, you know, whether you served on a ship in San Diego or you marched through the sands of Iraq, when you signed your name on that line to enter the military, you committed your life to this country. Uh, and to these people. So I think we have to remember that, especially on a Veterans Day when we honor you guys. Um, I want to thank you first for, for joining us today. I know you had a busy schedule and I appreciate that. But secondly, uh, for your service and uh, for what you're doing um, for these troubled veterans out there. And I, I, I appreciate it as an American. Well, thank you so much. You know, it's you mentioned signing on that dot line. Well, let me tell you, the day I signed, we weren't at war. And three weeks later, 9-11 happened, and uh, my grandmother, who's still alive, actually had woke me up and said that uh, you're going to war. And I thought, 
what is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. I come into the front room and we're watching as the second plane hit the tower live, literally just a few minutes after I had woke up. And um, I turned to my grandmother and I'm like, you're right. And, you know, she passed away just a few months after that. She never wow. got to learn, you know, the outcome of me heading off to Iraq. Sure, sure. Uh, and it's not easy. I, I'll tell you this much. Um, it's not like something happened every minute that you're there. It's more this hurry up and wait scenario on a daily basis. Mm. But there's always the fear. As soon as you drive across mm. the border of Kuwait and enter into Iraq and you're driving through this country that's at war, you don't know what comes next. That's endless anxiety. That's just endless anxiety and tension. And that has to have an amazing mental toll on the people who are over there. So we need to remember that they're there. Um, hopefully get them home as uh, soon as we can. So thanks again, Troy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, our producer for the Retail Politics Podcast is Mr. Mike Gugat, our technical director, the Wizard of Pods, Mr. Brad, maybe. If you get a chance, go to Amazon and check out my veteran's book. It is called The Good of the Order, America's Last 80 Years Through the Eyes of One Tiny Veterans Club. And that is on Amazon. Uh, we thank Mr. Troy and all the veterans out there. We hope you have a great holiday. We'll be back next week with another edition of Retail Politics Podcast. And until then, remember, always read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.